I live in Israel. This season is dedicated to the memory of the 1,400 of my countrymen who were massacred on October 7th, and the 240 people that were kidnapped and are being held hostage by the terrorist organization Hamas. Hopefully they will be returned to their families as soon as possible, and hopefully this terrible war will be able to come to a peaceful end very soon. Friday and happy Groundhog's Day to everyone and welcome to Minute 60 of Season 6 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we take a Capra-esque journey through the 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life, One Minute at a Time. I'm Rob and joining me to finish off this week is Duncan Shields of Chronologically Speaking. Welcome back to the show, Duncan. Greetings, programs. Hello. How are you? I'm glad to be back here. <laughs> And I'm glad to have you back on this Groundhog Day. <laughs> so minute 60 begins with George begins to think that maybe he's not a, a muggle and ends with George questioning his orders. So basically the, the, this minute opens up with, with a line, well, a couple of, well, we're a couple of financial wizards. So if you're a wizard, it means you're, you're no longer a muggle. Yes. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. And then we, we get uh, Uncle Billy says, yep, call us uh, Rockefellers. So, I mean, these are really interesting uh, ways to, to refer to themselves, you know, this whole thing. You know, like, like just to say we're financial wizards, It you know, this uh, tokens, uh, the, the Lord of the Rings had already come out at this point, hadn't it, in the 40s? I'm trying to remember. I thought it came out in the 30s. Am I right? Or would it come out later? I just I remember Christopher Lee saying that he was I think late teens, early twenties when he was he was really enjoying the books. But he was like, you know, I read the first one and I knew it would be two years before the second book came out, and that was a long two years for me to wait for book two of the Lord of the Rings to come out. And then uh, I loved that one so much. So I knew it was going to be two years before book three came out. And it was interesting to hear him talk about it in that way. Like you're mm-hmm. waiting for the next Harry Potter book. Like you're waiting for the next, you know, Game of Thrones book. Like he's like, we were all born when they're a finite entity in the past. But he was like chomping at the bit to read the next book when it came out. So, uh, so yeah, that, that strikes me as a 30s kind of situation. Okay, so The, the Hobbit came out in 1937, and Lord of the Rings uh, only came out in 1949. Oh, 49? Wow, I didn't realize it was that late. Okay. Um, no, sorry. The Fellowship, no, the Fellowship came out in July of 54, the two towers came out in November 54 and the return of the King came out in October 55. So within a period of a year and a half, all three of them came out basically wow. six, six months apart. Uh, no, six months between the first and second, and then a, almost a year between the second and third. Wow. Well, wow. at least he wrote it all beforehand. You know, it's, it's not like, uh, you know, what, what we have with game of Thrones where. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I've given up. I, I doubt it's going to happen, but, uh, 
you know, hope springs eternal. Maybe we'll see. Maybe, maybe. But but even thinking about it from that perspective, so you know, the the term wizard, uh, you know, this this these scenes are taking place in 1932, 1933. So they they don't have the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit to to think about with that. So it, it's it's no, wizard, interesting. Wizard. It's interesting yeah, that the word I mean, wizard was uh, you know was was common. Uh, it was it was a common term that was used at the time. Even if they're talking about financial wizards, they're still talking about wizards. Well, it's that W, right? Like uh, witch, wise, wizened, wizard, weird. You know, they all they all come from that same uh, clutch of of words. You know that uh, like you know W Y R D. You know like the, the the wizard and the witch and the weird and that's that's all that all that's all fey folk you know, really old world language. That's like, uh, it's probably from the Celtic or something like that. There's probably mm. some deep etymology uh, origin to the word wizard. Okay, makes sense. But it's just uh, uh, just a little strange to, to, you know, to think of it from, I mean, obviously he's not only referring to it from a fantasy perspective. You know, because he's saying mm-hmm. financial wizards. You know, so the yeah. You know the, the 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 definition of a wizard isn't necessarily going to be something from a uh, from a fantasy perspective. Perspective. Yeah, just a, a magic user. It can be a. This cake is amazing. You're like a cake wizard. You know, like I think that's that's something that probably goes back into the 20s or you know the 1800s 1700s you know like i think wizard is i don't know if it is present in a shakespeare play but i would not be surprised if it was right i mean based on what i what i looked up it uh you know basically the term of a wizard is the definition is a man who has magical powers especially in legends and fairy tales um and then you have computer related stuff which obviously was not uh uh, you know, it was not was not what uh, George Bailey must be referring to, because it's a software no. package that automates complex tasks. <laughs> you know, by by asking questions and stuff like that. So it's basically someone who's skilled in magic or magical power. So basically, you know, by calling someone a financial wizard, you know, is that someone who has special financial powers? Well, looking up the etymology here, it's from um, Middle English. The word wizard. Um, the wise. Not ah, wise. Okay. Yeah, the word the word wizard is, but so it just means uh, like a philosopher or a sage, and it, it's directly from wise. It's like a, uh, it's like a, you know, a descriptive word when uh, you know something is, um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> oh my god, why is my brain? It's an adjective, like. A wise person is a wizard. Uh huh. Okay. You know, like, uh, or or like uh, that person's really wizard. You know, like uh, that person's really jacked. That person's really, you know, tall or whatever. That person's really wizard. You mean like they are a person of wisdom? They are a wise person. So that eventually just became wizard. So you know, anybody, and you know, generally speaking, you know, the wisest among us are 
in the later stages of life. And so they have experience to draw on. So I imagine in a, in a patriarchal society, we're looking at old men with long beards. Right. So that's eventually the stereotype that became a person who was a counselor to a king or a, a sage or a philosopher or somebody who was writing down words that were worth pondering on. And, uh, and eventually it became synonymous with magic user. Right. Okay. Sure. Do, do you know any... I'm curious to know when that took place. Can you think of any famous person whose nickname was the wizard? Well, it was the Wizard of Oz. And then his pinball wizard. I'm, not, I'm talking about a real person. A real person? Oh, a real person. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Nothing, no one's coming to mind immediately, but I'm sure if I really sat down, I could probably think of somebody. Do okay. you have a few examples? Uh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. So you have the, the Wizard of Menlo Park. Do you know who that is? No. Thomas Edison. Oh. He was known as the Wizard of Menlo Park. Um, that makes sense. The baseball player, uh, the Hall of Famer, Ozzy Smith, was known as the Wizard. Oh, no way. A baseball player known as a wizard. I he love was, it. Well, because he was known as the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> ah, okay. Um, and then, uh, you know, go, going along with your, uh, you know, the the fact that that because you're Canadian, maybe you know this if you're if you're a hockey fan. Uh, there was a there's a hockey a former hockey player named Ray Whitney who was known as uh, as the Wizard. You familiar with him? No. Uh, well, I, I don't really follow hockey that much. Oh, okay. I'm a, I'm a bad a bad Canadian in that way. <laughs> okay, fine. He 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 played for the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, where he won the Stanley Cup with them in 2006. Uh, wow. And he was a stick brother with uh, with with Wayne Gretzky. Hmm. Interesting. What does that mean? I don't know. I'm not familiar with the term stick brother. Sorry, stick boy. Stick boy. Stick I think, boy. I think that means they're the guys who held, like a bat boy type of thing. You know, the guy who was, who was holding. Oh, the, I see. Yeah. So I, like a, a I think young, that's what they meant. Younger. Yeah, I misunderstood. I thought a child, first, a child assistant. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking at first that it's someone who you know that he played with Gretzky, but no. <laughs> uh, so no, not really. Um, yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of other people. Uh, Warren Buff, Buffett is known as the the Wizard of Omaha. Oh, okay. Um, then you have uh, who else? Uh, there's no one else here really that 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 sticks out. You have a uh, no, it's a, a basketball player named uh, John Wooden, who's known as the Wizard of Westwood. I don't know. Uh, no, so that that those are the, those are the, the the big ones that I found. And then he mentions the the Rockefellers. Are you familiar with the Rockefeller family? Uh, indeed, indeed, indeed. They're. Uh, I think I, they were they bankers or something. I know they're, they they're, were at this point they're basically famous for being rich. Yes, but I think they're. I, I, I'm they not were. Sure they were bankers. They were much into the industry, and uh, they have one of the world's largest fortunes. They, they they made their fortune in uh, in the petroleum industry in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. There were two brothers named John D. Rockefeller and William A. Rockefeller that that had a company known as Standard Oil, right? Which was later broken up into Exxon and Chevron. 
And, I see. And they have a long association and control of Chase Manhattan Bank. Ah. They are known as uh, one of the most powerful families in American history. And uh, yep. their, their family originated in Germany, in the Rhineland. And they moved to the Americas in the early 18th century. So... Now, who was – I know there's a family that was famous for literally inventing banks. Uh, they would lend money to kings to win wars and then ask for repayment with interest. And uh, I wasn't – I was, I thought it was either the Rockefellers or – well, I don't know. Whatever. I don't remember. Are you talking about the Rothschilds? That's the one. There. Rothschild. Okay. All right, it, it, it's close. It, it's it's an R O. <laughs> I think that's why I get uh, Rothschilds and Rockefellers mixed up sometimes, is because it's actually they actually have a similarity in the name there. Yeah, they were they were in uh, in Germany, and then they there, there was there was actually a movie about the Rothschilds um, back in the 30s. It was nominated for Best Picture. I'm trying to remember what it what it exactly what it was called. But it was basically about these five banking brothers in in different countries, and uh, you know, lending money to each of the kings, based on what you were saying. But uh, you know, helping right. finance. Okay, the, well, in 1934, the movie was called The House of Rothschild. House of Rothschild. Yes, yes, I actually enjoyed that movie. I probably should rewatch it one of these days. I haven't seen it in a few years. <laughs> it was it was it was a great movie that uh, that shows you know the power that bankers can have. When when dealing with with kings and stuff like that, well, it's like in uh, in Game of Thrones, right? The Iron Bank, right? Right. There's the Iron Bank. That's the shadow behind everything. That's it, right. Mm-hmm. One thing I really like about this movie was the uh, the road to its its creation. How it didn't. I mean, I don't know how much you've talked about that, but I it uh, it was a short story. Yeah. Did you talk about that? Yeah, of course. It was the a great, short story called. Gift. It was yeah. The greatest gift, and it couldn't get published, and so the author printed off 200 copies and put it in his Christmas cards. That's right. <laughs> and, and just gave it out, and then that got into the hands of an RKO executive uh, who gave it to Frank Capra, and they and they wrote the script and stuff like that. And one thing I found that was interesting about some early drafts of the script was that there was no Potter. Uh, it ended up being a good George and an evil George. Mm-hmm. Right. It was a, a, a George who was meaner and it made you know worse choices or something like that and they ended up having a fight on the bridge and the good george kills the evil george Ooh. and that was uh one of the first drafts uh before i think capra and a few other screenwriters decided to add the potter character and i kind of want to go across to that uh that other world and see see how the good george bad george film did but when this film came out <clears throat> it didn't do well because it was too much of a downer right for a Christmas for a Christmas movie, so it kind of came and went, and it wasn't until the the 70s when there was a slip up on the on the rights, that's and right. it went into the public domain, and so that's why it started being played every Christmas over and over again because it was free. But I also think there was something that happened with 70s audiences finally being ready for this for this movie, right? Because it is a downer. It's a it's a huge downer. <laughs> I, I like. I'm always amazed when I watch the movie, how long it takes for George to end up on the bridge. Because the, 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 the sort of famous part of the movie is him experiencing life in Pottersville 
if he had never existed. And it's only like five minutes right? of the movie. It's just a little five minute chunk at the end that I'm always like, oh, I always thought that was like the movie. Right. But it's not. The movie itself is this complete downward spiral, this wearing down of this stand up guy uh, and uh, until until he breaks when he when he's abusing his kids and he's he's just like at his at the end of his rope it's hard to watch because you 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 know he's been such a such a good such a good guy you know like it weighs it weighs a person down to stay true to their dreams yeah. and when their dreams go unrealized you know like i think it was in braveheart when they said uncompromising men are easy to admire <laughs> Yeah, that's a line that really, really, really stuck with me. Um, but there's this, there's this temptation, there's this belief that if you sell out, uh, then your dreams can be realized. Right. And even if you're doing it at the cost of your, of your, of your principles, it feels like you'll finally be able to relax and enjoy life. Correct. Uh, but, you know, trick. You know, oops, just kidding. There's no relaxing and enjoying life. Not really, ever. Like here and there, maybe, but not for long. You know, whether you've stuck to your path or you compromise or you sell out, the struggle will always be there. Right. And uh, it's, your, it's your character and your word that are all you really have. And uh, no matter what people say, that's the real currency of the world. But life is hard, and I think that's why this movie resonates. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, uh, I remember... <clears throat> You got to work at it. It's sort of, <laughs> it's similar in a way to uh, the Shawshank Redemption in that this movie speaks to people on a really personal level. Like at the end, at the turn of the century, Empire Magazine in the UK did a, did a poll to say, okay, what were the what were the greatest films of the 20th century? Everybody write down your answers and send them in. And on, uh, on, the, the, on the December 31st issue or whatever, we'll publish the top top 50 movies of the 20th century and number one was uh star wars trilogy and i think number two was the godfather trilogy they just put them all together because they were like okay we can't we can't list them separately <clears throat> but then number three was the shawshank redemption interesting and everybody was kind of like what you know and there was this moment i think that everybody had because it wasn't on a ballot you, you wrote down your answer and you sent it in like you, you this is collated from people just writing down their favorites and so there's this moment which with with shawshank where you're like well i knew it was my favorite because it really speaks to me but i didn't realize anybody else felt the same way you know because <laughs> it's got you have such a personal connection with that movie and it's similar with this one how uh you know the the trials that george goes through in this film are so it's almost voyeuristic watching you know the veneer of his ability to deal with life gets stripped away over the course of you know an hour and 15 minutes before he jumps off a bridge or wants to jump off a bridge you know and it's this moment of uh we've all been there you know uh, to one extent or another uh you know we we've all been there and um I think that's why this movie is so enduring and why why it'll you know why it'll keep on being something that uh everybody you know wants to see but even even frank capra said that it was made kind of by accident he said uh, not kind of by accident but he said uh this is a quote of his he says there's more to the picture than i put in it 
there's more to the picture than was written in it. Mm, there's more values in the picture than we knew we were playing with and that we didn't expect. And that's probably the answer to it, that there's more to it than we thought we had. And I, I think I think about that a lot because there's a lot of movies out there that were made that accidentally uh, uh, capture something way more than the sum of its parts. You know, and uh, you know, like Shawshank, like, I don't know, Donnie Darko, like Ghostbusters, uh, like Blade Runner, you know, like there's these these films that were well made and well crafted mm -hmm. or pick up on pick up on South Street's another one. Right. Like you talk about the behind the scenes people and it's like, why did you use that iconic pier set? And it's like, oh, well, it was still set up from a film that had been shot two months previous <laughs> so it was it was supposed to be in a, a dingy bar but we thought that looks pretty cool so we used that one and then it was like uh you know how did you find the actress that played the love interest it's like well she won a beauty contest in ohio uh two months before we started filming and uh she had come out to la so we we used her and you know like uh, you know or like they asked the, one of the lead guys you know what do you you know what did you feel when you were making this movie could you see that it was he was like uh i made 11 movies that year <laughs> you know <laughs> and that was movie six and i was on uh movie 12 when movie six hit the theaters so i could sort of remember filming it a little bit but um i'm really glad it did well you know like so there's this this is when you're when you're churning out 200 movies a year uh you know one of them is bound to just you know, slot machine style end up becoming something amazing. But uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of movies out there that sort of there's an alchemical reaction where they become more than the sum of their parts. And this movie's definitely a great example of one of those movies. Like everybody performs well, but you, the script you're writing is not the movie that people saw. Right. You know, you wrote a movie about a guy going through some stuff and it has a happy ending. But the movie that people saw was a very resonant, personal tale that became a part of their soul. You know, so it's a different, uh, it's more than what they intended. Right. True. And it's, it's, uh, I completely it's, agree with you. It was that. great to hear Frank Capra, it's, it's great to hear Frank Capra say that because there's so many directors out there that will take 100% of the credit for whatever happened and say, I meant to do that. But it was amazing to hear Frank Capra say, oh, no, this was way more than we intended. Right. And I'm like, good, good for you, man. Good for you. So I think that's a that's a real. Uh, that's why I want to check out more Capra films now. There you go. Now you have a good reason to do that. Pretty, pretty stand up guy. Yeah. So then we continue with George, and he goes, "Get a trade for these two great, big, important simoleons here." Have you ever heard the word simoleon before? I have. I've heard it a lot. Greenbacks, simoleons, dollars, moolah, dosh, cash. Like, but I'm never really sure where the word simoleons comes from. It sounds like it would like Mesopotamian or something like that. But did you? No, did you, it, it you actually know? it comes from in the late 19th century. Uh, the the word Simon, which means dollar. What? Yeah. Simon means dollar. Mm -hmm. huh. It was it was British slang. Simon. Gosh, I didn't know that at all. So basically, that's what they're talking about here. You know, it, it's U.S. slang for a dollar. 
Well, all right. And then he goes, we'll save them for a seed, a toast, a toast, a toast to Mama Dollar and to Papa Dollar. You know, he's raising up his, his little glass of uh, possibly whiskey at the point uh, there. You know, and, and if you want to keep this old building and loan in business, you better have a family real quick. And then, <laughs> and then we get the response. I wish they were rabbits. <laughs> yeah. I wish they were too. <laughs> and they said, okay, let's put them in the safe and see what happens. And they start singing and dancing as they, they take these $2 bills into the, you know, into a secluded area where they can reproduce like, like rabbits. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I think a lot about this scene in George about how he's a leader who doesn't know he's a leader. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, he doesn't understand that he's a weather vane, that he's a, a bellwether uh, creature that uh, everybody follows his lead. Um, he just thinks he's, you know, struggling his way through life and trying to do his best and he doesn't realize that he does actually have a parade of people looking to him for the direction to go in to follow him and uh you know i think a lot i think about that a lot when you try to ask a leader how to be a good leader they're like i don't know you know they're like what are you talking about you know they're like uh, I just lead, you know, you tell people what to do and they do it. <laughs> Why are you asking me how, you know, like, you know, they can't see the forest for the trees cause it's, it's who they are. They're just, that's just what they do. They're just effective. Or they'll say, I'm not a leader. No, are you kidding? These are just a bunch of people with similar interests that, uh, we're all going down the same path together because they're ignorant of the fact that they're actually the person in charge, you know? So, and that's, that's, uh, that's the kind of person that George, strikes me as is he has no idea the impact he has on this town no 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 question about that at all and and then they 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 put the the you know the tray with the two dollars in in the in the vault close the door and then he goes folks folks wedding cigars oh oh wedding <laughs> apparently everyone's forgotten the fact that they you know <laughs> even the guy that's got married has forgotten about this that's right oh my god and then he goes holy mackerel i'm married so Holy, holy mackerel is basically a cleaned up version of of Holy Moses or Holy Mary. Ah, know. okay. Um, and you go, I was wondering because I know it's uh, there's in the Catholic religion there's a fish on Fridays kind of a thing, right? Uh, I, I think you're, there's a, there's you're, a fish you're on... asking the wrong person about that. I definitely don't <laughs> I'm know. Asking the wrong guy, yeah, yeah, for sure. But I think there's a thing about like, uh, yeah, you, you, you don't have meat on Fridays, so you have fish. So that's part of the reason why they created a filet o fish at uh, at McDonald's was because they wanted to break into that to that market. There was unexplored potential happening on Fridays in uh, uh, you know small towns that were like mostly Catholic. Is the, there was no business at the burger stores on Fridays, mm-hmm. so they tried to what what can we Itch on Fridays and as a fish on Fridays thing, so right. I, I can sort of see like uh, or the loaves and fishes. There's there's a holiness attached to fish in some regards that I'm dimly aware okay. of. So I, I, that's where I figured holy mackerel. It, it's from. very possible that there is some sort of connection to that. And then George George goes, "Where's Mary? Mary, poor. Look, I got a train to catch. Well, the train's gone. He looks at his watch. I wonder if Ernie's still here with the taxi cab. And then Tilly goes, George." <laughs> There's a call for you. He goes, look, will you, will you get my wife on the phone? She's probably over at my mother's, at her mother's. Uh, Mrs. Bailey is on the phone. I don't want Mrs. Bailey. I want my wife. M- Mrs. Bailey, oh, oh, that that's my wife. Here, I'll take it in here. 
Mary, hello. Listen, dear. Classic. I'm sorry, huh? Come home. What home? You know, I, I just, I love the whole fact that he gets confused about who's, who's Mrs. Bailey, who's his wife, what's going on. I mean, he's, he's obviously had a very uh, stressful day trying to deal with, yeah, with, with the whole thing. You know, I love his, um, yeah, I love this, this moment of him playing catch up with his own reality. <laughs> you know, right. He's just been, he's been, he's, he's been deep, deep in the zone, you know, deep in the zone with, uh, uh, what they call it, the flow flow state or whatever. He's been in this 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 other world mm-hmm. that's taken up 200% of his attention for so long, and he's successfully successfully saved the bank, you know. So yeah, he's like, oh yeah, I got married today. <laughs> that's a great clip when he's like, I don't want Mrs. Bailey, I want my wife. That's right. Oh right, Mrs. Bailey. That's <laughs> such a good. Well, it's good that he's able to good. figure that out real quickly that that Mrs. Bailey is his wife. You know, that's already yeah. it's already a good stage. It's a good good point that he can figure that out. All right, great. Um, so, I mean, there there isn't that much to talk to in this about in this minute. So, you know, we we actually I don't have anything else to talk about in the minute. Do you? I got uh, I just I just a few comments about how this is a wonderful capture of an entire life where it, where it, you know it starts when he's young and and goes to when he's um, you know pivotal moments and it's sort of a painting of his whole life. But there's like a, an older movie in the 30s called The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. Yes, I've seen it. Which was a, a a great i thought that was a wonderful way of oh it's really hard it's one of the problems i have with biopics is uh they pick like they cherry pick one or two moments and uh make the whole movie about those one or two moments and it's really rare to see a movie that accurately portrays a whole a person's entire arc of their of their life there's like the world according to garp i think is another one that that that, that did that uh, and this is and this is one of them. So it's um, I think that's a real uh, a real you know a real triumph. And it just also that everybody remembers that the every time a you know a bell a bell rings, an angel gets his wings, and uh, and, uh, and you know Zuzu's petals and uh, and all this stuff. Like everybody remembers the happy ending, which to me is very unrealistic. And it, it almost like he did jump off the bridge, and this is his death hallucination is the happy ending. Like, the, but the heart of the film is darker. It's a it's a dark hearted film. It's uh, it's like kind of like Christmas Carol. It gets uh, you know it gets really real. And uh, but it's kind of one of the reasons why I think I avoided it for such a long time is because whenever anybody talks about it, they talk about, uh, you know, the, the kid at the end, the, the sick child. It's one step away from, you know, God bless us, everyone. Like the the the, the ending of it is so mm-hmm. saccharine and smarmy and, uh, and, and, and Christmassy that I'm like, uh, I don't care. But then when you really sit down and watch it, you're like, this is a very a realistic and a dark movie. It's like um, with, uh, uh, I think it was Muhammad Ali who said, a man who thinks the same at 50 as he did at 20 has wasted 30 years of his life. <laughs> and uh, there's people who say like, you know, you there are movies and books that you read that are the same book, but they're different depending on when you read them during the course of your life. Correct. And I think this is, this is one of those movies that when you see it when you're 15, you're like, oh, okay, Hey, it's a Christmas movie, but when you see it when you're 65 or you're whatever, you're like, this movie really packs a punch. This movie is a very important and emotional 
ride. And uh, this is definitely, definitely one of those films, I think. I also just want to mention that Mary's horrifying fate <laughs> made me laugh. Uh, just that her, her her horrifying fate is that she became a librarian who wears glasses. Yes. Oh no. <laughs> you know, the entire town is filled with like gambling dens and neon signs and you know juke joints and like nobody uh you know everybody's a horrible horrifying uh broken person and then uh, she wears glasses and is a librarian and to 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 include <laughs> that outcome in the same fate as everybody else i thought was was hilarious like oh no she's an old maid you know she's probably got three cats the horror the horror I'm like, oh, well you know tap tap the brakes a little her life hasn't turned out that bad right exactly no yeah, yeah i agree with you on that but that's yeah but uh, well what, what's your what's your background with this movie i we, we've talked about it all week and i never mentioned i never asked uh, that question like when when do you remember first seeing this you know, it's entirely possible uh, that me purposely sitting down and watching it beginning to end, uh, I might have done that for the first time in preparation for this podcast. Oh, wow. Uh, I may have seen it while my parents were watching it when I was a kid and I was in and out of the room. Uh, I've often seen it imitated. I, I may have caught it in passing uh on tv shows in some uh you know some christmas seasons when i've had nothing else to do or uh or whatever and i've seen so many clips of it referenced by so many other shows um over the years that uh that i, I feel like i've seen it seven or eight times but i honestly can't pin down a memory of watching it beginning to end so interesting okay well i'm glad that i was able to force you to do so yes i'm, I'm glad too <laughs> it was fantastic to go into the uh to go into the origins of this movie the i had no idea about the origins of this movie that blew my mind that it uh, had kind of a bizarre plinko-esque uh fate you know like to, to wind up becoming a, a cultural touchstone of a, of a civilization every christmas um, it very nearly wasn't. So that's uh, it's fascinating to me. And I just love it. It's yeah. such, a, such an amazing performance. And the moral is so good. And yeah. it makes me want to watch a whole bunch more Capra films. So I'm happy it there happened. There you go. All right. I'm glad, I'm glad I was able to affect you that way, too. Yeah. That's great. Okay. So every Friday we have a segment called Oscar Oops. And uh, the idea behind this segment is that uh, over the last 95 years of Oscar uh, movies... So every year there's always uh, arguments as to what movie really should have won or whether the movie that won was deserving or not. So, you know, I thought it would be interesting to hear from from my guests what, what they think are, are, in their mind, the five biggest uh, Oscar uh, mistakes over all of these years. You know, what, which movie do they think should have won that didn't win? And uh, obviously the only caveat is a small one, that it has to be something that was actually nominated. You know, you can't say uh, that in yeah. 1982, Tron should have won because, you know, it was a great movie. But since Tron in 1982 was not nominated, you can't do that in this, in this scenario. The way it was not nominated is so egregious. But, uh, yeah, they, okay. were, they said that computers were cheating, so they don't count as special effects. So it there was uh, it was disbarred. It was uh, excommunicated. It was forbidden from even competing. And I'm like, oh breaks my heart it stabs me right in the neck every time i hear that 
like, oh, the, to be on the cutting edge of something and then to just be eschewed by your peers. Oh, horrible <laughs> what they did. Horrible what they did. Uh, so, yeah. So uh, in 1998, I think Life is Beautiful should have won over Shakespeare and Love. I enjoyed both films, but I think Life is Beautiful was a much more, quote unquote, important film than uh, than Shakespeare and Love. And now with the Weinstein, you know, stuff like that, there's this... It's kind of, you know, it feels bad that Shakespeare and Love won when you're like, what kind of backroom deals went on to make that happen? Every time That's a right. Weinstein production won at the Oscars, which happened a tremendously high number of times because he, he did have the power to make that happen. But uh, I'm sure compromises were reached <laughs> in order to, for the Oscar statue to change hands. Anyway, uh, in 2010, I think I personally, these are all personal choices. This is not, yeah, of course, not, you know, empirical things that I think they got uh, wrong. I just think uh, if I was in charge in 2010, I think Black Swan should have won over the King's Speech um, because, but Black Swan's a very, very intense, dark film. So I can, I, can, I guess that that's not very Oscar. Uh, 2011, I would have taken Moneyball over The Artist. I would have taken almost any of the other movies over The Artist. The Artist was well made, but there's this... Hollywood is in a love affair with itself, and uh, you know, you make a you make a movie about the glory of the 30s film industry, and then Oscars are just like, oh, amazing! Give it all the awards. And that's, I think, why everybody was um, shocked by was it Babylon that came out two years ago or last year? Last year. Last year. Yeah. yeah. Everybody was surprised that Babylon bombed. And I was like, I wasn't. I'm like, nobody cares. 1930s Hollywood. Stop. Yeah. We, it's Yeah. I hated that. We movie. get it. <laughs> you know, we get it. You know, I don't want to see a bunch of rich starlets getting involved with fame and drugs and, you know, whatever. We get it. It was a time of opulence and excess in Hollywood. Uh, 2018, I think the favorite should have beaten Green Book. I didn't mind Green Book, but uh, I really think the favorite should have um, should have gotten the best picture for that one. And for 2015, this is going to cause a little bit of controversy, but I think Fury Road should have beaten Spotlight. But that's just me. I know Spotlight is a perfect Oscar movie, and it is an important film. Not a quote-unquote important film, but an actually important film. Um, but in terms of filmmaking, in terms of creating a movie, I think Fury Road uh, is amazing and was streets ahead. Like, for me, Spotlight is the script and the performances. And for uh, Fury Road is the performances but also yeah the art of putting together a movie i think was accomplished uh, uh much much better with fury road than it was it was in spotlight but i understand the subject matter of spotlight you know give it all the awards so that everybody goes to see it it's an important movie that tackles an important subject which makes it pretty much guaranteed win for uh oscar season but um for my money, Fury Road should have won. That would have been incredible. I would have, I would have loved to have seen the day when an action movie took home Best Picture because it was just so well made. Okay, you are not the first person to put that that up there on on your on your list. So. Oh, fantastic! I'm so glad to hear it. Good, good, good. Yeah. <laughs> All 
All right, so Duncan, for one last time, do you want to tell people where they can find uh, Duncan Shields? Uh, go to Tronologically Speaking or go to Buy Duncan Shields on all the social medias. And I forgot to mention, I did write a book of short science fiction stories called Small Windows, uh, which is available on uh, you know Prime and Amazon and all the places where you normally get your eBooks. Um, so check that out if you like a little short science fiction story extravaganza. All right, very cool. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Around Minute. You can find me on my, my website, movieroundminute.com. You can find me on Twitter, and you can find me on Facebook. So, Duncan, thank you very much for joining me this week. I've I've had a great time. I, I hope you awesome. have, too. I have. As we're, he- as we're heading into the final sign-off, uh, I did want to say that my brother and I had an inside joke of, uh, I wish I had a million dollars. Hot dog! Like, for our entire lives, just because... Um, <laughs> it's a it's a non sequitur watching that as a child we're like i have no idea what he's doing there i have no idea what he's lighting i have no idea why he would say hot dog i don't know why he would make a wish on this lighter you know like nothing about that moment made sense to us so it just cracked us up every time so uh yeah yeah i I haven't been able to figure that out yet and why where's the special you know, idea of being able to, you know, uh, make a wish on it. I think it's just the like, idea of you make a wish on anything, you know. Is it, I'm just kind of like, is it a, is it faulty? So it only goes off a fifth of the time? So that's why, no, that's why the no, wishes not or the, like, is, is it a, a, you know, who knows? Not that I, I could I figure out. Right. Yeah. And, and so is it a lighter? Is it for lighting cigarettes? It's a cigar. <laughs> it's a, it's a cigar lighter. Okay, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, it's a girl later. All right, All right. so I will be back on uh, Monday with a new guest. But until then, hot dog. Hot dog. I love you truly, truly, dear. Life with its sorrow, life with its tears. 